Titan spacecraft did not crash in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. You know Flatterson's, I guarantee it. But you don't know who they are because they're afraid of talking about it. This is not a test. This is your emergency broadcast system. Hello and welcome to the 149th Annual Subliminal Deception Podcast. Your weekly dose of conspiracy theory bullshit. My name is Cody. I'm joined by my pal Phil. How are you? Doing good, buddy. How about yourself? Uh, not doing too bad. Um, I know everyone loves the weather, but it was in fact snowing again today. I want to oh. jump off a bridge and not ever have to wake up to this nightmare again. So otherwise, yeah. how how's how's Arizona? That's good, you know. It was in the in the nineties for a few days in a row this past weekend, and then it rained like fucking hell Tuesday. So it was okay today. A little bit cloudy. It cooled down a bit, so that was nice. <laughs> well, some big news to talk about. Uh, an international meme has taken over the internet. Now, before I get into this, I'm going to preface this by saying I do not watch the Oscars. Do you? No. Like most people do not watch the Oscars. No. So here's the funny thing. It was like probably 10, 30, 11 at night. I was on Reddit. I was looking through the Minnesota Vikings subreddit, whatever, seeing if there's been any moves or anything. And there's the same recurring picture of a man slapping another man and all sorts of memes being tossed around, right? And I was like, did someone get hit at the Oscars? And then, of course, you boot it up, and Chris Rock made a, just going to say it, fairly gentle joke about Will Smith's wife, Jaina Pinkett Smith, who uh, everybody knows uh, cheats on Will, which is a thing in itself. But Will Smith gets up, goes up on stage, slaps Chris Rock, and then tells him twice to keep his fucking wife's name out of his mouth. That's, uh, I want to ask you really quick before we, you know, before we get off of this. On the Neil deGrasse Tyson scale of uh, probability, 50-50, you know, more or less, would you give to it being a staged slap, a fake slap? You know what I mean? Have you ever seen, like, you know how in the movies, how they don't really slap each other? It just kind of, they make it look as good as possible? That's what I thought at first, because if you wa- if you watch... Will walking away, he does have a grin on his face or whatever. But my thing is, is number one, if you, did you ever watch the little TV show or web series of uh, Will Smith and Jaina talking about her cheating on him? Yeah, I've, I've seen that. Now, it, to me, it seems like he has some sort of insane loyalty to her for some reason. And I don't know. I don't know. It's it's weird because he was laughing. She wasn't laughing. And then he gets up on stage and slaps him. Yeah, well, he was laughing about the joke. And then she kind of looked pissed off. And then all of a sudden that happened. But if you, like, really quick, you actually, I've watched it back a couple of times. Like, right when he's talking about, oh, here he comes. And then all of a sudden he kind of, like, puts his face forward a little bit. And then you know how, like, in real life, if someone slaps another person in the face... Their body doesn't really move. It's their face that moves. Their their face, like, they don't just sit there and take it. They actually, like, their their head goes backwards a little bit trying to get away from it. He totally, like, had his face out there for him, and then his whole body, like, jerked away as if, you know, it was a stage slap. So that's kind of where, like, right when I saw it, I thought, wow, that kind of looks like a stage slap. Because if you watch, like, pro wrestling... There's a lot of stage slaps that happen in that, with the exception of Stephanie McMahon, who a lot of the wrestlers will talk. When she slaps someone, she really slaps the shit out of them. So but she's going to make it look real. And that's the that's like the only ones there that like actually look real. But the rest of them are those big like fake stage slaps. That's kind of what it looked like to me right when right away when I saw it. I have seen a couple of people talking about that. Here's the thing: if it is staged, what is the point? 
I have no idea. I don't know why it would be staged. I just think that like the slap looks staged. I don't know if it's to get the ratings up on award ceremonies so that they still have them. It's kind of one of those things where it seems like viewership has gone down in the past yeah, few years. So true. it might be something like that, but I have no idea. So, I don't know. It just to me it just looked it just looked fake. Could so. this be a psyop uh mission of some kind in the reptilian world a lot of reptilians in that no room. idea a lot of reptilians in that room and you know it oh definitely i didn't uh, i didn't actually look to see if anyone's eyes did the uh, reptilian split thing but i'm surprised know. will smith didn't slide on all the reptilian goo that was probably all over the floor there <laughs> oh yeah from uh, from all <laughs> the celebrities <laughs> but anyway to hold their shape in but anyway, Phil, uh, that's enough about the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Uh, why don't you lead us into this week's episode? All right. Freemasons, Skull and Bones, Bohemian Grove, and the Illuminati. Secret societies that, throughout history, have baffled and intrigued conspiracy theorists. Their hidden rights and confidential rosters, these groups have aroused suspicion amongst non-members for generations, leading to beliefs that these groups have been covertly working against the common good for their own gains, pooling their resources together, and in turn, creating the most powerful leaders and world figures amongst us, tugging the puppet strings of governments around the world, and perhaps even creating and controlling the single shadow government, which seems to be emerging before our very eyes. Ooh. You know who I think need, people need to be more suspicious about, but they're not, is those ladies with red hats. The group, ah, yes. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, you see them all over town. The old ladies with red hats who they usually meet up after church. The, there's some sort of satanic cabal going on with them. I'm just not sure what it is the little flowers they hand out maybe they're laced with something i don't know what are they up to yeah cyanide they're uh making everyone just doling down everybody a little bit so they can take <laughs> over i think they're literally called like the red hat society or something like that yeah there was a group in my grandma's town that she was a part of called the purple hat ladies and they would Ooh. you know do a little charity stuff with their purple hats on so Okay, huh, interesting. I've never heard of the Purple Hats, but uh, shout out to the Purple Hat people. The Purple Hat Mafia out there. <laughs> now today, we will be discussing one of these groups from the distant past, having died out centuries ago, vanquished through charges of heresy levied against them by the very church that they had been sworn to protect. This group's perceived greed and deception had fueled their wealth and influence, though the speed of their rise would only be matched by the expedience of their fall. As today, we will be discussing the many conspiracies surrounding the legendary knights known as the Knights Templar. Ooh, okay. These, uh, I've heard of these fellers. Um, yeah. I'm just going to say fellas because I don't know. Were women allowed to be a Knights Templar? I do not believe they are. I, I looked for it, and I couldn't find any instance. They, I mean, they probably were working for the group, but I don't believe, uh, honest, obviously, I don't think that they were, you know, like riding on horseback wearing armor. But as I'll go in today, there were a lot of jobs inside the Knights Templar that didn't have anything to do with fighting. But I do not believe that they became official members of the core group. Well, we know religious groups um, really known for being or promoting equality or women's rights, so I wouldn't doubt if they are not involved with it. You know what I mean? Oh, especially the Catholic Church. Ah, absolutely. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Still to this day, only men can be priests in that church. Oh, that's, yeah. yeah. You know what? If they let ladies become priests, technically their pedophile numbers would go down. They want that, though. <laughs> they want i don't know i don't know yeah to the rest of the world that'd be a good idea but for them it's like well what's the point of even having this thing the money you know they've got enough money or just let them masturbate i mean or get married or something getting married would you know i mean at least it's kind of a weird thing where a lot of the people who became catholic priests you know i'm not sure about today but a lot of them were like gay men who just kind of wanted to take themselves out of the game, pretty much. So, Okay, interesting. Just speculation, but obviously, <laughs> you know, seems true. Now, 
starting off this episode. We will be talking a little bit about the history on the formation, purpose, and rise of the Knights Templar, taking us all the way back to the First Crusades in the 11th century. Hell yeah, let's hear this shit. The First Crusades, enacted by a call to arms by Pope Urban II in 1095, was in response to the Byzantine Emperor Alexios I Komnenos, wanting to take back control of lost territory in Asia Minor and especially the Holy Lands, calling on all Western European knights to protect the Christian civilians and monuments remaining in the Holy Lands, and to protect them from, of course, the Muslim horde, even offering a special indulgence to the knights, claiming that they would be absolved of all prior sins and given special entrance and special treatment in the next life. Wow, so they they really sold them a bag of goods that they could not actually promise to deliver. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the best gift, gift that you can give because it costs absolutely nothing. You just <laughs> basically say like, oh, yeah, you, fucking, you get the fast pass to heaven, baby. Just like Disney World. Yeah. You know, you won't be waiting in lines. You know, all the other fat kids are going to be looking at you all pissed. Wow, that, I mean, I suppose... You know, people would fall for it. Oh, definitely, yeah. Indulgences were a big deal. I mean, it's part of, you know, why the Reformation happened, was these uh, the giving out of indulgences, you know. That was, of course, the pay for indulgence was the problem that they were having. But yeah, it was, It's the Pope was offering this, knowing that he wouldn't have to give anything, really. <laughs> uh, also, final thing is... Urban Meyer named after the, the Pope Urbans. Possibly. Okay. I think they were probably both about as uh, decent folk. So, yeah, yeah definitely. Both, both degenerates, definitely. Oh, yeah. If you were a Pope back then, you were definitely, you were, you, you were no saint. You were the worst of the bunch. You were going <laughs> to be made a saint. But yeah, just look at the Borgia. True. The first wave of crusaders, known as the People's Army, was made up of about 60,000 poor civilian and petty knights. They were led by the preacher, Peter the Hermit, and the knight, Walter the Penniless. The horde was very untrained and extremely ill-equipped. They were forced to even forage all the way across Europe. This group, though, would meet a tragic end being ambushed and destroyed by the Muslims of what is now Turkey shortly after reaching Asia Minor. Okay, let's just be real here. If your leader's name is Peter the Hermit and Walter the Penniless, it yeah. doesn't exactly inspire, you know, the rallying of troops. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Walter the Penniless. Imagine having a like a, a boxer with that name. If you're Walter <laughs> the Penniless. It, you, people aren't exactly going to be betting on you to get past, you know, the first round. Yeah, I mean, technically, uh, you could say Mike Tyson the penniless, I suppose, but um, <laughs> or I, Evander I, Holyfield yeah. the penniless, <laughs> Holyfield the penniless, Evander uh, the penniless Holyfield. That would be good for now, but he had a lot of money back then. Speaking of him, real quick, I was at a game store selling some stuff, right? Video game store, and they yeah. had a lot of old games. And there was two games that caught my eye for Sega Genesis. So they had NBA Jam, right? Yep. I didn't remember they only had like eight teams on the whole game. They yes. had the Bulls, but they did not have Michael Jordan. It was Pippen and some other guy. That's because he didn't sell his name and likeness rights for ah. like the video games to, you know, to make a character out of them. And then there was a boxing one. It was like heavyweight champions or something. Um, they didn't have George Foreman or uh, Mike Tyson on there, but they had Holyfield. Oh, okay. I'm sure that all of Holyfield's money probably went to his ex-wives anyway. So his baby <laughs> mamas. The more professional armies that successfully invaded the Levant in 1097 wrestled away the Holy Land, including Jerusalem, from the Muslims, taking control of the city on July 14th, 1099, after a short siege over the walls, and after a failed retaking by an Egyptian army in August of that same year, Christian leaders of the invading Crusader army would actually set up four newly formed kingdoms in what is now Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, 
end the countries of Israel and Palestine, uh, basically Israel and Gaza and the West Bank. So when you say kingdoms, you mean like full on, full on, like uh, a castle and towns and or buildings or I don't know houses such like that. Yeah, no, they, I mean, they were already had castles and, and homes and stuff like that. It wasn't barren land. They had, you know, they had a, they had uh, infrastructure set up there already. Gotcha. That okay. they took over, yeah. Uh, I, the fascination with Jerusalem and religious people is just insane to me. Oh, yeah. Well, especially how it's it's amazing how that land has been fought over for millennia by three different groups that are basically like branched off from the same religion. Yeah. For a guy, they not even certain nobody can be positive actually existed. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the Jewish people are fighting over it because it's their, you know, their home territory. It's obviously very important to them. The Christians, because Jesus is from there and the Muslims kind of, they push their stories of, you know, like, basically where Muhammad ascended up into heaven. They kind of put their stories into that country because that's that's they claim that uh, Muhammad actually traveled to those countries. So that's kind of like their little stake on the Holy Land. Um, but I'm not exactly sure. I, like compared to Mecca and Medina, I'm not exactly sure if Jerusalem is as important as like those sites. So Gotcha. I All think right. that they are quite important to them though. Obviously, uh, the Dome of the Rock, the Temple Mount, that that whole area they fight for pretty hard. So, that is the Dome of the Rock that Black Rock? No, the the Dome of the Rock. So the Black Rock you're thinking of is in Mecca, but what you're the Dome of the Rock is that large mosque with the the large golden dome on top of it, and ah. it's on the Temple Mount. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. The city of Jerusalem remained relatively secure after its recapture by the Crusaders. However, the areas outside of the city would become lawless, causing pilgrims entering the Holy Lands through the port of Jaffa in modern-day Tel Aviv to become victimized by raiders and highwaymen along the road to the Holy City, causing the need for the creation of a Holy Order of Knights to protect the pilgrims and the Holy City itself. You know what? You know how they say that humanity can continuously keeps repeating the same process? Um, yeah. Literally, Pittsburgh is a modern-day Jerusalem from the sounds of it. Well, I mean, the thing is, I don't think Pittsburgh is quite as nice as Jerusalem was back in gotcha. you know, 1099. I mean, at least Jerusalem had some amenities. Pittsburgh is just a total shithole. <laughs> just a just basically where everyone else throws their garbage and their garbage humans. <laughs> and the knights are just wearing like rusted steel outfits. <laughs> <laughs> They're just meth heads wandering the streets. That's what they call their holy knights. That's, what, that's how they protect their city. Their templars. Yeah. <laughs> Now, in the year of about 1118 or possibly 1119, depending on what internet articles you read, the French knight Hughes de Payens came to the king of Jerusalem, Baldwin II, and the patriarch of the city of Jerusalem named Warmond, asking for permission to create an order of knights to protect the vulnerable pilgrims outside of the city. The king would actually give de Hughes permission on 1120, making him the first Grand Master of the Knights Templar, along with the first eight of the original Knights Templar. Okay, interesting. So it's a French guy, huh? Yeah, it's actually uh, pretty big in the whole Crusades were like the French knights who came over. They were like leading figures in most of those kingdoms. Did they all have pencil mustaches as well? Possibly, I don't know. I just always imagine them with those big Fu Manchu style uh kind of mustaches and the little strip on their goatee. Yeah. That's how I always imagine Frenchmen before the <laughs> year, like 1920. <laughs> now the new order was given a captured mosque on the Temple Mount to act as their headquarters, which was renamed Solomon's Temple after formally being named Al-Aqwaza Mosque. And I actually, I probably fucked that name up, but I couldn't really find how to properly say it. A-L-A-Q-S-A. 
The group named itself the Poor Knights of Christ and the Temple of Solomon, becoming known as Templars for shorthand, uh, after the temple that they resided in. The temple was bequeathed to the knights by the king of Jerusalem after serving for a short time as his own palace. So is this like the Solomon's Temple from uh, Legend? No, this can't. Is it? So, well, the thing is, um, the Temple Mount is the location of King Solomon's Temple. But that the first temple was actually destroyed by the Babylonians in the 6th century B.C., but I'm so saying- a long time before this. And then the second the t- second temple was actually destroyed a few hundred years after that. Wasn't the original King Solomon supposed to be before Jesus? Oh, yeah, a long time before Jesus. So King Solomon was actually shortly after King David. Gotcha, okay. I just yes. know him because he apparently could control demons. Um, yes. He had some sort of a ring that did something as well. Uh, it's kind of pretty cool. Yeah, they're pretty legendary figure. So a lot of those early kings of, well, I mean, kings of Judah, to whatever you wanted to call it back then, basically the ones who took over after Moses, uh, a lot of them have kind of like magical powers attributed to them. Yeah. Kind I, of almost like they were touched by God, like their <laughs> yeah. whole line was, you know. Yeah, I think King Solomon had like a thousand wives or something too, something ridiculous. Oh, yeah, I mean... You know, just a sign of the times back then. He probably also <laughs> lived a thousand years knowing the stories. So, But now, the location of the Knights Templars headquarters on the Temple Mount actually leads into our first conspiracy that we're going to be getting into today. This involved this group of monastic knights, which states that the reason that the group was given the temple was that it was believed that the lost relics of Christianity and Judaism, also untold treasures of King Solomon and other kings of Jerusalem, were actually buried underneath the old mosque. Now, that old mosque had been renamed Solomon's Temple, but the Templars were actually located there, not necessarily just to be housed, but also to hunt for the lost relics of Christendom. So could they, like, when you say lost relics, like, could they be looking for Jesus's foreskin, perhaps? Well, yeah. So I'm actually going to get into a few of those things. I didn't necessarily see (laughs) Jesus's foreskin. I mean, all, you know, all 85 bits of uh, Jesus Christ's baby dick was pretty much, you know, spoken for all around Europe, of course. Right. But there were some other, some other pieces of human kind of, you know, making up this, this little conspiracy. What about like Jesus's? What if Jesus had cock, like cock piercings? Would those his be his cock ring? Yeah, his Prince Albert. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, possibly. Okay, all right. So tell me what they're looking at here. Looking for, right. I should say. So here are some of the things that I found that they were potentially looking for. One is the actual head of John the Baptist. Okay, what are they going to do with that? Well, basically, it's just kind of like something to supercharge your, you know, your God powers. Uh, but like we mentioned before in the, the Christian Relics episode, there were many heads of John the Baptist that existed throughout Christian Europe, including one at the Vatican. Could they be looking for it because they were going to open a spring volleyball league? Possibly. They didn't have or, a you know, they, they could just be something good to drink wine out of. <laughs> An open skull. They're having a Knights Templar street basketball league and they needed <laughs> needed a basketball. Yeah, definitely. Possibly. I heard that Hughes DePayan had a pretty uh, mean crossover. <laughs> so some other relics that might have, uh, you know, kind of piqued the Templar's interest were kind of like associated with Jesus Christ, not the cock ring, but <laughs> they were also looking for the crown of thorns. The Holy Lance, which we mentioned also on the Christian Relics episode. The Shroud of Turin. They were even potentially looking for the actual head of Jesus Christ. After a thousand years, you know, 1100 years, that thing would uh, be quite decayed. Yeah, basically all of these kind of relics, they were all mummified, more or less. Wouldn't it? Uh, Oh, you think they were all mummified? Yes. Yeah. I'm I'm thinking, well, I I don't actually think that any of the heads were really the heads of like John the Baptist or Jesus Christ, but they were all just 
Because, I mean, obviously, you can't keep skin on a, you know, a human head for hundreds of years without some kind of, you know, preservation, mummification. So here's the thing where I think it might be a loophole in their story. So Jesus died. He came back to life. His body was not in the tomb. And then he went to heaven. So why is his head still here? Yeah. Well, I mean, we don't actually know when those stories were made up. Like the we don't gotcha. know when, you know, that shit was inserted in the Bible. So Very maybe true. in the early days he was actually buried. And then the fake stories or, you know, more fake stories about him ascending to heaven came later. So Gotcha. That's true. Maybe yeah. these heads they just want to practice CPR on them. I don't know. Maybe that's it. Oh, the little uh the respiration Annie yeah. dolls. Yeah. 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 Pra- <laughs> they're practicing kissing. <laughs> the Christians were pretty weird yeah. <laughs> back then. Now, however, the most important relics that the Knight Templars would have been searching for would have been, of course, the Ark of the Covenant, thought to be lost for centuries at that point. The Ark was said to hold the tablets given to Moses by God himself on Mount Sinai, containing the Ten Commandments. Also, there was a jar inside of the Ark that supposedly contained some of the manna that fell on the Israelites that fed them on their journey through Egypt. There was an item that I'd never heard of before, but it was called Aaron's Rod that Budded. So, yeah, I was going to say, I've heard of, I think, the rod because it was supposed to give him food, right? Yes. Yep, yeah. So Aaron was Moses' brother, and basically he had this rod that kind of budded out plants and food that supposedly sustained the the Jews in Egypt through the plagues. You know... The only reason I know about Aaron's rod was is from Ancient Aliens. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, great show. Yeah. Yeah. They were talking about maybe it was an alien device given to them to help them survive. Yeah, basically they just kind of find conspiracies and then just kind of, you know, throw or they take old stories and they just throw aliens into it. So, I could definitely see them doing Ooh, that. Uh, one quick note here. I forgot I was messaged and informed that QAnon is now claiming that Zelensky, the leader of the Ukraine, is the Antichrist. So, oh, nice. That. Yeah, uh, uh, how it lined up nicely with our episode there. Uh, yeah, thank you for reaching out to me, the gentleman who yeah. did. So, uh, yeah, I, I got a good laugh out of that. Yeah, it's odd that they're aligning themselves with Putin. It's, I don't uh, get it's it. It's been a weird turn over the past few months. Don't get it. Yeah, I, I, I have no idea. So basically, the Ark of the Covenant was thought to have been lost after the, the destruction of the first temple of King Solomon uh, by the hands of the Babylonians in the 6th century BCE, like I mentioned before. Uh, that's basically when they thought that it kind of you know went away. And the, the Babylonians just threw it in the garbage, basically. Well, they're not exactly sure where. There's a lot of different stories about it being smuggled away, being smuggled to other countries, just basically wherever, you know, on Earth people, wherever people on Earth lived and wanted something special to be about their place, they claim that it was smuggled to their lands, pretty mm. much so. Well, if it's the Babylonians, they definitely tried to stick uh, Aaron's rod up their assholes, right? Oh, possibly. Yeah. yeah Aren't they, they known uh, for that? The Persians? Eh, I don't know. A little bit. <laughs> I'm getting confused with the Romans here. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of the ancient people kind of like the butt stuff Yeah, a little bit. They, uh, they knew the know, secret they, of the male prostate. Yeah, they didn't. Uh, they probably didn't have quite the hang-ups. Yeah, a lot of people <laughs> think that like the ancient Greeks were these very noble, philosophical people. If there was, if say, if there was Plato... Or Socrates or whatever. If he, if you actually spend an hour with him, you would think he was the most disgusting human being you've ever met in your entire life. With how like people back in ancient times lived compared to us. Basically. Yeah, oh. yeah. I don't doubt that for a second. Oh, yeah. The Ark of the Covenant, not only a powerful connection to God, was also thought to be potentially a powerful weapon capable of destroying enemy armies with the power of God. Now, this would have been a very enticing weapon for the Christians in their fight against the caliphates and other European kingdoms that were their rivals. Though in the wrong hands, 
it is said that the Ark could bring plague and ruin. There is actually a story that the Philistines had captured the Ark from the Jews. Uh, this has been actually retold in the Bible. Basically, wherever the Philistines had taken the Ark, rats and plague followed it. This basically forced the Philistine army to give the Ark back to the Israelis, along with the gold offering to end the suffering. Damn. Well, I would assume... After hearing that, the Philistines must have made a stop by uh, New York City before they gave it back because there's a lot of rats there as far as I know. Oh, yeah. That's the crazy thing is, yeah, I'm not exactly sure if the Ark of the Covenant is in New York City. Possibly it could be in Pittsburgh because, you know, they have rats the size of golden retrievers there. They're just, you know, basically the city is built on the rat corpses. So. <laughs> I think the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers stadium is literally held together with rat bones. Oh, yeah. They turned it into their mortar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. holds the bricks in place. <laughs> now, I should also mention uh, one of the most popular places that it's thought that the Ark ended up right after the Babylon Babylonians destroyed uh, the temple. They think that it might have ended up in Ethiopia. Why there? Well, basically, there's like a group of... Uh, Jewish people from ancient times that migrated down to Ethiopia. Also, the Queen of Sheba is pretty prominent in like stories of the Bible. So, gotcha. Okay, it's kind of where she was from around it, that area. Axum. Does it make any sense why this? So, as far as I know, the Ark of the Covenant had never done any like damage necessarily, right? Um, and. Why is it that it will never affect anybody from Israel, but it affects everybody else? Well, because supposedly God gave it to the Israelites, so maybe it's supposed yeah. to help them. It didn't really ever bring them very much luck either, though, really, if you look at it. I mean, they didn't exactly, you know, have the, you know, they didn't become like a superpower or anything because they were holding on to it, so. Yeah, but also it... Like, I don't remember blowing anything up or anything like that. Oh, yeah. No, there. I haven't heard any stories about that. They always just carried it with them, and they would bring it to battles. That's actually how they lost it. They lost it because they carried it into a battle, supposedly, to like kind of bring them like God's favor, like God's luck. But they lost that battle, and they lost the Ark. So. Yeah, I got it. Okay. Yeah, when they lost it to the Philistines. Gotcha. Now, another conspiracy theory for the creation of the Knights Templar was the possibility that the Crusader King of Jerusalem actually had found evidence of the Holy Grail in the Temple Mount, and that the Order of Knights was actually set up to protect the secrets of the Grail, that being the secret bloodline of Jesus through a daughter that he had had with his wife, Mary Magdalene. Now, there's a lot of people obviously seeing the Da Vinci Code, and it's kind of like well, the book and the movie go into a lot of this and not that it was a carpenter's cup, like from the movie, Indiana Jones. Right. Yeah. It's funny. As you're reading this, all I can think about was the Da Vinci code. Cause it's essentially what Mary Magdalene's vagina was the Holy grail, right? Yeah. Basically it was uh, like her womb was supposed to be the grail. Does that mean that Jesus was drinking out of it? Possibly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe, you know, Maybe he was a very intentive lover if he was, you know, taking a sip every once in a while. Maybe, Especially for a dude back then. Maybe at the Last Supper, you know, everyone thought it was a cup, but he was actually pulling out a pair of Mary Magdalene's underwear and sniffing them while he was Possibly. having dinner with his boys. Or he took Mary Magdalene to the back and the painting was made just of, you know, just kind of fill me in as he took off. <laughs> yeah, that could be as well. No matter what the reason for the creation of the Knights Templar was, this monastic order, which had actually originally been meant to be pious and impoverished, early logos of the group even featured two knights riding on the back of a single horse. Uh, that logo was meant to show a humble poverty, which was unusual for normally rich knights. And this was nuts to butts, correct? Yes, yep. The logo featured uh, the two knights. Yeah, riding. one was riding bitch on the back of the horse. I kind of wish it was a football logo. 
Yeah, like that would on be an football, odd football logo. Maybe the CFL. It might fly a little bit better in Canada. <laughs> Very true. I mean, I think nuts to butts nights would have been much better than the Washington Commanders. I'm just going to throw that out there. Oh, yeah, definitely. The Washington nuts to butts nights. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's sweet. We should, we should have sent the suggestion in. That would have been great. <laughs> Now, the impoverished Knights Templars would soon have their luck turned around as the Pope at the time actually put out some papal bulls or basically like the the Pope's orders, kind of like executive orders like a president has now. He put out three of them that were very important in making the Knights Templar extremely wealthy and the power in Europe's financial theater. The first one was called the Ohm Dayton Optimum in 1139. Now, this kind of recognized the Knights Templar as a order that was aligned with the Catholic Church. There was the Militis Templi in 1144 and also the Militia Day in 1145. All of these three papal decrees would kind of add up to be basically the normal mechanisms that the Catholic Church in Europe would have used to take money away from the rich to kind of keep the wealthy down wouldn't be applied to them. Also, it would allow the Knights Templars to collect their own tithes around Europe, which is something that was really only given to the official church administrators. This sounds a lot like what happens in the United States, doesn't it? In the meaning, I... like, we the, we make sure the wealthy keep wealthy. Don't take their oh, money. Oh, yeah. Well, at this time, the kind of like the power in Europe, the church was really working to kind of almost, yeah, keep, they were actually working to kind of keep the wealthy down, really. They weren't trying, I mean, there were the kings and the lords, but anyone who basically made money outside of the nobility was really kept down through taxes from the church. Oh, okay. All right. But I'm I'm assuming... The church itself was plenty rich. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. They okay. were collecting money from basically they had their they had their hands dipped into everything. The real Dick Cheney of the time. Oh, yeah. They were uh <laughs> I don't know if they were shooting anyone in the face with birdshot. You don't know that. Yeah. You don't know that yet. Possibly. Now, with the defense of the Holy Land seen as a good place for your tithing to go, the Templars would soon receive gifts in the form of horses, equipment, rare metals, land, even entire businesses. Now, the Templars' original membership of nine knights would soon begin to swell, with the order seen as really just a good service for your child to go into, not only because of the service to God and the Holy Land, but of course also the promise of adventure and untold wealth. At the height of the Templar's power and influence, the group boasted a membership of nearly 20,000. Damn, that's quite, uh, that's quite a lot of them there. Yeah, the problem with that is that's a lot of mouths to feed for all of that wealth. True. And knights were not cheap. So if they're giving them whole businesses, like these guys could go into a GameStop per se and they would just give them the keys to the castle, huh? Oh, yeah. I mean, imagine them just be given, you know, nowadays, they would just be given entire GameStop franchises. But, you know, they wouldn't make any money from it because no one (laughs) makes money from a GameStop franchise. But imagine something like a Chipotle, something that makes money. True. (laughs) The Knights Templar are actually the secret owners (laughs) of Chipotle. Yeah. Basically, they would be like the managers of the Chipotle. And then the people putting the uh, burritos together, they would kind of be like serfs who were you know, basically forced to give their time to that Chipotle, kind of like how it is now. Gotcha. By the peak of their power, most of the members of the Knights Templar weren't even meant to be fighters, with many of the men in the service acting more like management and possibly even workforces for the many farms and businesses spread throughout the Christian world. Even some knights would work in an emerging field known as banking, or what would later evolve into the banking system that would eventually emerge after the old world feudalism died out. I really wish every time I go went to the bank, there'd be someone in full fucking night armor just oh, sitting yeah. there taking my deposits. Yep, definitely. Just the big uh, 
the big kite shield with the white and the red uh with the red yeah. cross on it yeah 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 it'd be amazing Taking your money telling them that you owe them interest yeah, yeah. <laughs> on a loan now the story of how this small group of knights went from impoverished warriors to the gilded keepers of europe's wealth not only has to do with the donations received from citizens around europe but also has a great deal to do with their unique position as a stateless group, allowed due to their papal bulls to operate throughout the continent of Europe, from England and Scotland all the way to Jerusalem gotcha. and the Levant. Gotcha. Okay. So they, they're they basically the Wells Fargo of Europe right now. Yep. They are operating throughout the whole thing. Do you think this is where Wells Fargo really came from? Possibly. Maybe it came from the church. They are kind of evil in their ways. So <laughs> Instead of like the wagon and the people riding on it, it was like a bunch of knights crucifying somebody and setting them on fire. <laughs> that would be killing killing Muslims. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that'd be a more li- that'd be a more believable Wells Fargo logo. Yeah. Especially after what was it, ten years ago, all the bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now one service that the Templars offered was holding on to money and precious items for the knights and nobility who were going off to take part in the crusades. They would allow their clients to then withdraw the money in any of the branches that they had set up throughout the Christian world. Another service was allowing their clients to take out loans, not only to pay for war fighting, but also to the many client monarchs in Europe, including the Pope. Now this was really to float the bills of their nation. As long as they you know, put down some collateral or made certain promises of payment until the loan was paid back. This could include the nobility promising entire GDPs of you know, large cities or entire estate GDPs to go directly to the Knights Templar until their loan was paid back. And I suppose if they were giving them loans and they're going to war, the person dies there, they get to keep that shit, huh? Oh, yeah. All the collateral. They keep that. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Yeah. Especially. So another service that the Knights Templar would do, they would kind of be the executor of these warfighters estates. So basically, the Knights would give them like a lot of gold or money or whatever. And then they would tell them like, okay, I want this much given to my mom. I want this much given to the church. And I want this much to be giving to my descendants. And then for a fee, the Knights Templar would take care of all of that. So basically they were kind of acting like lawyers for them. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. I didn't know all that. I didn't ever realize how the Knights Templar in less than a century became some of the most wealthy people in Europe. But it was early banking, and they were the only real game in town. The only people who were actually really allowed to handle money like this were the Jewish people at the time. Yeah, yeah, this is, uh, I remember this is kind of where that stereotype comes from, this time period, right? Yeah, well, it was against canon law for Christians to, like, handle money, to earn interest, uh, a lot of this stuff. Kind of, you know, the backbone of today's banking. They weren't allowed to do it all. So apparently these Knights Templar, though, were they didn't necessarily collect interest. What they did was they exchanged money for a fee. All of the times that they serviced a loan, they would, you know, obviously charge fees. Basically, you couldn't really get interest, but they could get paid for their service. And that's how they made a lot of money. Also, whenever someone defaulted on a loan or died, they would get to keep a lot of that collateral. Right. And the collateral could even be entire tracts of land. Right. Now, the headquarters of the Templars would actually change towards the end of the 12th century. It would move from Jerusalem to the coastal city of Acre, which is modern day Akko in northern Israel. And this was after the Muslim warriors under Sultan Saladin began making headway against the Christian forces remaining in the Holy Land. This would include the defeat of the largest ever Christian army at the Battle of Hattin, located between Damascus and Jerusalem. Uh, That battle took place on the 4th of July, 1187. Now, this would leave the interior of the Holy Land undefended after all of the knights were forced to scatter. 
A few months later, on the 2nd of October, 1187, Jerusalem would fall in a bloodless surrender after the walls were pierced and the city was no longer able to defend itself. Though, the city would be recaptured again without Templar aid during the Third Crusade by the Byzantine Empire. I just, I don't know this much about this history, but these motherfuckers were fighting for hundreds of years? Oh yeah, definitely. It was... The Muslim caliphates were constantly looking to expand more and more into territory in Europe. Basically, they almost, if they would have made it through Constantinople uh, any earlier, they might have actually pierced through. The whole story of Count Dracula kind of has to do with fighting off the Muslims. Oh, wow. Okay. I I just, I guess I didn't know because... You know, obviously when this was forming, it was like the early 1100s and now it's getting closer to 1200 and seems like there's just battles going on constantly. Yeah, really back then there was a lot more war happening. A lot of the civilizations would go to war almost every year. A lot of places every March their armies would march out. So, gotcha. Okay. Over the next century, the Templars would continue to collect tithes and increase their wealth and power, though the popularity of the Knights Templar would begin to wane after the Christians' exit from the Holy Land, the last stronghold being Cyprus in the year 1303. Alongside their exit from Asia, their clients began to feel crushed beneath the weight of their debts owed to the order. This would include King Philip IV of France who, feeling the weight of his own debt, seized upon rumors to coerce the Pope to declare the Templars heretics. Wow, okay. King Philip there, he's got uh, he's got some balls on him, huh? Yeah, it's always nice to hear of another Philip who does good. So, <laughs> so normally Philips throughout history aren't that great. So it's good to have a compatriot, I suppose. <laughs> now, the original rumors came allegedly from a former Templar who had accused the knights of having heretical entrance rituals and for denying God, with King Philip being given permission by Pope Clement V in the Pope's attempts to investigate the monastical order. King Philip IV famously arrested many of the Knights Templars in France on that fateful day, Friday the 13th of October in the year 1307. This would include the Grand Master of the Knights Templar, Jacques de Molay, who, along with many of his compatriots, made made confessions, mostly under severe duress, to many of the accusations facing the Templars. Now, uh, judging by the date, Phil, was there a uh, Knights Templar by the name of Jason Voorhees? Possibly. Great movies. Yeah, Yeah. well, Friday the 13th, is this where this came from? Uh, no, it's actually not. The superstition is much on this, but it's kind of a weird coincidence, like a happenstance that it happened to be on this day. I don't know if they really meant it to be, but it did kind of, it does kind of muddy it up. Uh, basically every article I read said, this is not where the superstition came from. It's much older than this. Interesting. Okay. These accusations would include spitting on the cross. All right. Fun for the whole family. Oh, definitely. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I don't exactly know what that accomplishes. I'm not exactly sure if the Knights Columbus do that to this day. Oh, for sure. But possibly. They might ejaculate on the cross. I don't know. Yeah, those old men showing up in that group. I don't know. It's a little <laughs> weird with the swords and everything. Engaging in inappropriate kissing. Okay. Does this mean tongues? Is this like 69ing? What is this? I don't know. If, that, it's, if it's uh, after a few drinks and... You know, they're getting a little randy in their bars. I have no idea. But well, you know, maybe night- tongues maybe tongue stuff, you know? You know, Knight Templar uh Jason Voorhees has been known to kiss a man through his hockey mask here. Dur- oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure if I saw I'm not sure if I saw that porn parody, but uh <laughs> yeah. Encouraging homosexual behavior and deviant sexual acts. Okay. Um you know what? I, I guess they just want to have a good time. Yeah. You know, they had all that money, you know, who knows what kind of deviant sexual acts. A lot of the rich today, you know, you hear about them engaging in like those weird sex parties and shit like that. Yeah. Yeah. 
They also were accused of idolatry, including the worship of a statue of Baphomet. Also, they were accused of worshiping the mummified head. Now, this head was thought to be possibly the head of John the Baptist, or maybe even bringing it back from before, the head of Jesus Christ. I didn't even know Baphomet was this old. I thought he was, like, created not that long ago, but maybe maybe is a different Baphomet? I think you're thinking of Slender Man. No. <laughs> yeah, I think Baphomet's pretty old. I, is he? Okay. I, I thought that it was one of those ancient kind of demons that got turned into the devil. I thought that's what it was. It could have been. I thought it was created as like a, because they give him tits and stuff. It's like the ultimate heterical or heretical thing or whatever. Maybe I'm thinking of something else, but I thought that Baphomet was a like a Persian god that was kind of repurposed recently into like a satanic figure. I don't know, but uh, maybe we'll have to look into do an episode on that guy one day. An episode on Baphomet. Hell yep. yeah. The bearded, big-titted fucking <laughs> demon god. Now, on November 22nd, 1307, Pope Clement would issue a papal bull. Much like the papal bulls that were used to enrich the Knights Templar, these were used to destroy them. The first was the Pastoralis Preamente, which ordered the kings of Europe to arrest all Templars and to seize their assets. Uh, with inquisitions being assigned to investigate the knights, though most of the confessions by the Templars were later recanted. Uh, this was due to them being severely tortured during the investigation. Yeah, yeah. you. Uh, it's pretty common you torture someone that much. They'll basically say whatever you want. Oh, definitely. And there's basically a lot of the podcasts that I've listened to about the Spanish Inquisitions. There was a theory back then that stated that a confession or someone's like testimony taken without torture couldn't be trusted. Basically, uh, you had to torture someone just so you could trust what was coming out of their mouth. I think that's what Judge Judy did to people before she got on TV, but I could be wrong. Yeah, it's all about the eyes. Yeah. She just gives people the death glare and they <laughs> die a little on the inside. I think Tell she, her whatever she wants to know. I think she liked to put people's hands in vice grips and turn it until they told the truth, but... I could be could be mistaken. Yeah, that was casino. But <laughs> <laughs> in thirteen twelve, Pope Clement issued yet another papal bull. This one called the Vox in Excelso, which absolved the church support for the Templars. Another would be called the Ad Providium. This ordered that the Templar assets would be turned over to the Knights Hospitaliers, which was a rival group to the Knights Templars. Man, this motherfucker's just, like, washing his hands of everything. Yeah. Another thing that came out of these was basically that the Knights Templar was completely, like, erased. There was no more Knights Templar. Damn. With the exception of one country, which we'll mention later. Ah, <sighs> just like the Houston Oilers. Oh, yeah. Just erase Definitely. them. Just become the Titans and erase their, uh, the history <laughs> book. Yeah. On the 18th of March... 1314, Grandmaster Jacques de Molay, an elderly man at the time, was actually burned at the stake. This was after he recanted his previous confession. Uh, he was actually accused of returning to heresy because of the recanting. And while the flames burned around him, he supposedly claimed that King Philip and Pope Clement would soon join him in death. And as fate would have it, both of them would actually die before the end of 1314, so with he, Pope Clement dying less than a month later. So he put a little uh, curse on him there. Oh, yeah, definitely. I don't know if it was uh, in burrito like it is in Mexico, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Here, man, I want to know King Philip and Pope Clement. They seem to have some weird thing going on in the background. Yeah, so there was a lot of, well, let's just say that King Philip IV was threatening Pope Clement. Pope Clement, at the time, the Pope was actually living in France, not in the Vatican. So he claimed that, basically, Pope Clement was worried that the King of France would destroy him if he didn't help him. Gotcha. Okay, that, okay, that makes more sense. Yeah, and also King Philip. The reason why he did all of this, I'll get into this a little bit 
uh, more now. So the reason why he did all of this was because King Philip owed the Knights Templar a substantial amount of money. Basically, the reason why he had them destroyed is because he didn't want that debt on his books anymore. He also wanted France to take all of the wealth that they could from the Knights Templar. So basically, they completely turned around their situation. All right. Just uh, <laughs> turn it, turned. Uh, I guess he had the power to do that. Yeah. Supposedly, a lot of the treasure that the Knights Templar had was stored in France. They actually had a large keep that they kept a lot of their treasure in in France. And a little bit later on in the episode, we'll talk about some that the Knights Templar may have actually seen the Friday the 13th massacre coming and may have smuggled out a lot of their treasure. Okay, all right, can't wait to hear it. Yeah, now as far as the legacy of the Knights Templar goes, King Dennis of Portugal refused to prosecute the Templars in his country. He would actually even reconstitute the Templars in the Portuguese city of Tomar. This was as the Military Order of Christ uh, taking place in 1319. Basically, they continued to accrue money, especially during the Age of Discovery, which Portugal was very much involved in, at least the early period. You just uh, change their name, and then uh, they're free of, free of all the crimes. Just like Meta from Facebook. <laughs> exactly. Definitely. You read my mind. <laughs> no, no, we're not the evil corporation known as Facebook. We're Meta. Yeah. We're, just, we're just everything great. So, yeah. <laughs> Continue buying stock, please. Now, the last conspiracy that we are going to discuss today is what actually happened to the relics that the Templars had supposedly captured during their existence. So, according to some theories, after the mass arrest of the Templars, the knights would actually load up carts full of treasure and relics and escape their castles and keeps throughout Europe, especially in France. Now, the wealth and possibly the secret of the Holy Grail, which some believed that they had been sworn to protect, was also believed to have been ushered out of the cities. Okay, so this is probably some shit that's going to happen to Amazon sometime in the future for sure, right? Well, Jeff Bezos, I imagine, is the, be the end of us all. So I think <laughs> Amazon will be safe from itself, but, okay. but he's yeah, gonna we'll take, all be fucked. He's going to take the relics with him to the moon or something. Yes, to Mars. Yeah, Mars. after he steals all of our all of our holy holy relics, he's going to go to the Mars with them. <laughs> yeah. Now, according to local legend, there is a town in Poland named Swatiki. Uh, I did not say that right. I apologize. It is said to be the final resting place of the Holy Grail. Now, after the Templars snuck their treasure out, they supposedly sunk the Grail and a large amount of gold coins into a nearby lake. Though the lake has since dried up, uh, the treasure is ever thought to have been stolen or perhaps lost underneath the water. Okay, well, I mean, if this is possible, this is a possibility, right? You know some uh, drunk Polish guy, shit-faced off vodka, walked by the lake, saw a little shiny, and then started taking shots out of the Holy Grail. That'd be my guess. Um, what do you think? Oh, yeah, well... If it had been there, and supposedly this lake dried up, so you think someone would have found it by now, but well, yeah, who some knows? some drunk Polish guy took it, Phil. Some drunk Polish guy taking I... shots out of the carpenter's <laughs> cup, because you know it, it looks just like the Indiana. Yeah, <laughs> and now he's uh, or his family still uses a cup to hold pierogies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Another place that could possibly be home to the Holy Grail or even the Ark of the Covenant is the Monastat Abbey, north of Barcelona. It could also be held in the Basilica of San Isidoro in northern Spanish city of Leon. Also, there is a cup that is kept in the Valencia Cathedral in Spain. Okay, so you have been to Spain. Did you... Know of these locations, visit these locations, any of that? No, I've only been to Madrid. I have, I did see quite a few uh, like old churches and cathedrals in Madrid, but no, I've never been to any of these cities. Okay, if the, if the, okay, if the Holy Grail's, the, or I'm sorry, if the Ark of the Covenant's there, shouldn't it be taken over by plague and rats? Well, you would think so. Yeah. Yeah. Seems like a tourist spot. 
Yeah. Well, I'm not exactly <laughs> sure if it still has the uh, the the juice that it used to have. Ah, it is pretty old. Okay. Maybe the expiration date has come and gone. <laughs> and of course, we also have to mention the possibly most controversial or, you know, realistic spot. And that is that the landing spot for the Holy Grail is on Oak Island in Nova Scotia, taken there by the Templars whom had escaped to America after being forced out of Europe. Yeah. I'm convinced that the History Channel created Oak Island just so they can continuously make a show about a man (laughs) digging a hole and struggling to find out what is in that hole. Yes, and all the supposed booby traps and everything. Yeah. Many holes, just like anyone who's watched the show, many holes have been dug on Oak Island in order to find the famed treasure, with the most famous one being the Money Pit. Now, there is a curse of Oak Island, just as the show suggests. The curse says that seven men will die in the search for the treasure before it is found. To date, supposedly, six men have died in their efforts to find the treasure. Well, okay, so we just, that'll be like Oak Island season 12, the final season, somebody else has to die, then they're going to find the treasure. That's my guess. It'll probably... It'll probably be some old person who happens to have a heart attack there and they'll claim it's, it's, oh, that's it. That's it. So then they'll like, you know, dig more and hope to find something. (laughs) And also it's going to be as like a giant H in the shape of the History Channel logo uh, at the bottom (laughs) of that pit. It's, it's just the archive footage that they kept from, you know, back in the nineties and two thousands, they showed. Hitler in World War II and Armageddon. <laughs> It'll just be old archive footage from that. The vague, oh my God, Hitler's coming back to History Channel in 2020 forward. Nothing but Hitler in World War II again, boys. Actually, I wouldn't mind that. It was better than the current reality TV show shit that they either, tried to Okay, yeah, out. let's either go back to World War II all the time or aliens all the time. Yeah, Hitler or aliens, yeah. uh, definitely. Maybe a mix of both. Yeah, yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah. Now, lastly, we're going to talk a little bit about the Vatican. The Vatican secret archives have actually turned up the official minutes of the Templars' trial from 1307 to 1312. Uh, They actually found them in 2001, and they've had those minutes actually turned into a book called Trial Against the Templars. Basically, about 800 copies were sold in 2009, with the last copy being given to Pope Benedict, who everyone remembers was the Nazi. Now, the books were sold at an astonishing price of $8,000 a piece. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's a that's an expensive book. I wonder how much they're Definitely. worth now, only 13 years after the fact. Yeah. Supposedly, most of the books were bought up by a lot of like universities and like big libraries, research institutes, trying to figure shit out from the past. Okay, that makes sense. They weren't really meant for normal people to buy them. All right. So one big thing that came out in the minutes from the book is that Pope Clement didn't actually find the Templars guilty of heresy. Uh, He actually later reversed that decision, though, after military threats made by King Philip IV of France. So at first, he really didn't think that they were guilty of heresy, but when his ass was on the line, he flipped. So Gotcha. So King Philip had the bigger dick in the room. Yes. Yep. And gotcha. the bigger army, too. So. <laughs> Interesting, Phil. So I guess the ultimate question is, did they actually have relics or was the Knights Templar simply just exceedingly wealthy? And then I guess with we even do it now. We talk about rich people. We speculate that they have extreme rarities right yes just like how we think jeff bezos has uh telepathic abilities because of his gigantic skull yeah uh, people thought that the knights templar had you know power of god basically on their side which is how they got all wealthy and but i mean really they were just kind of a an order that had the favor of the pope at a very important time and they were able to benefit from that just really good businessmen i mean they basically invented banking like the European banking system. So. Right. Yeah, I guess that, uh, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but uh, banks are nice, but they're kind of a double-edged sword. Um, 
yeah, yeah, I don't know. It was it was good for them because they were the only game in town. So, you know, Do, really, they weren't. No one was allowed to really go to you know many other banks. There wasn't. I mean, there were money changers all over the place, but the fees were really bad, and they wouldn't really hold on to money for you. So. So okay, do you do you think they actually had relics, Phil? Any of these relics? Ooh, um, I think that they found some supposed relics, but I think that the relics were just kind of like the fake ones that we talked about in the religious the yeah. uh, religious relics episode in the Christian relics episode. Yeah, they they couldn't exactly be like you know you go into the little Templar's bank and then the guy. You know, Knight Captain Jason Voorhees says, hold on, let me get my Pope Baptist, the second head expert guy in here to take a look at this thing. Like, yeah, they didn't really oh, have that. They did not like Pawn Stars. No. They couldn't, uh, they, couldn't, they couldn't bring their true cross, their piece of the true cross guy in to see if it was <laughs> yeah. the actual wood. Yeah. That was actually, so I didn't really mention it, but some of the collateral that people had actually used against loans, also some of the... Uh, tithing some of the some of the donations that were given to the Knights Templar were Christian relics. Gotcha. I bet yeah. it was really so, easy to trick these guys into believing that it was some sort of expensive relic, though. Oh, definitely. You just you stain an old piece of wood with some coffee, and they'll think it's oh wow that must be part <laughs> of the, or Noah's Ark or something like that. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Oh man. Well. Uh, what a great episode, Phil. Honestly, I learned a lot about them that I, I wasn't aware, um, you know, that they basically created banking, that they kind of got betrayed, not necessarily, well, yeah, by the Pope, but more over by uh, King Philip because he owed him money, uh, which is kind yeah. of funny. But uh, but yeah, great episode. If any Knights Templars out there in the world want to email us, uh, and tell us about what holy relics they have. Where can they do that, Phil? They can hit us up on our email, subliminaldpodcast at gmail.com. Great to hear from everybody. Gotten quite a few messages in the past month, so thank you for that. We also have an Instagram account, Subliminal Deception Podcast on IG. Thanks for all of the likes, all of the shares, all the good compliments. Keep them coming. Uh, Cody and I also have our own Instagram accounts. Mine is sdpodphil. Cody, you got one? Yeah, you can follow me at Cody Zabub. Thank you to everybody who's given me a follow and sent me messages about the episodes or given me ideas for episodes. I really appreciate that. Um, the last thing we need you guys to do is to log on to iTunes, leave the show a five-star review. doesn't really matter what you say, just preferably five stars and a written review. If you're a Spotify listener, it's easy for you as well. You just have to click the five-star button. You don't have to type in anything or any shit like that. You just... Uh, just leave us a nice five-star review, and we know that you appreciate the show. So, uh, otherwise, I hope you guys all enjoyed the episode. Very informative, as usual. I will see you guys next week. Thanks, guys. <laughs>